Parental Advisory. Great. Mistakes. Back in the late 90s, or maybe it was the early 2000s, there was this really awesome 7-Up commercial. One of the dudes from Mad TV put it on, I think, or is the actor in it. And it was Make 7 on the front of the T-shirt, and the back of the T-shirt said, Up Yours. And the slogan, the campaign was, Make 7, Up Yours. In that vein, that that was kind (laughs) of how I chose the title for This episode was Mike Hughes, Up Yours. And I guess I'll get back to that in a minute. But I want to start out, the last few episodes I forgot to mention several things. One topic is my social media. I do have a Facebook page for the Great Mistakes podcast. I am on Twitter if anybody is on Twitter. And also, in case you don't want to be on Twitter or Facebook... I made a Locals page for me where I'm posting all the same stuff on all those places. I also forgot to mention the, for the last episode, I also forgot to mention the outcome of the sharing, which was, I had asked everybody to share the Be a Dick Thursday episode three, episode four. I forgot to say the results. The results were, I had more people listen. So thanks for sharing. Maybe I'll do that again every now and again. The other thing that I wanted to mention, which I've kind of decided maybe I'll mention it every fifth episode or something like that, just because I don't everyone I don't want anybody to listen who listens regularly to be inundated with the same garbage. But this is supposed to be a series, like a limited series. I don't know how limited the limited is gonna be like a TV show, maybe has five seasons or so. It's not going to go on for, for forever indefinitely. A lot of podcasts maybe have interviews or their true crime, and they can always find another murderer or another guest. This is actually just stories about me and my friends and the lives that we lived. It, it's going to end. And also, it starts at the beginning. Actually, the name of the episode, Great Mistakes, the main of the, the name of the podcast, Great Mistakes, makes sense it's explained in the trailer so this is your first episode go back to the beginning is what I would suggest that was the whole premise of the podcast now onto the show oops all right I already forgot something I made a Facebook page for the great mistakes podcast and Mike Hughes actually liked it, and I got so excited about it. I thought of this idea, and then I got excited about it. Mike Hughes, up yours. I scrapped what I planned on doing the next episode. Actually, I already have that recorded. I'm doing this instead, but I don't even have a script, so sorry, I forgot to mention. I'm also recording this for YouTube, in case that would be preferable for anyone. It's going to be up on YouTube. Why not? I have a camera, kind of what I thought. They say the camera adds 10 pounds, and I really feel like I that's not the case for me at all, which I feel good about. I think I the 10 pounds was added maybe by cheeseburgers and french fries. Well, it could have been the Doritos. Well, I, I guess I do eat Oreos by the row. Mary will say, 
how many Oreos did you eat? And I'll say one. She said you had way more than that. No, I had one row. I, I Well, maybe it was the tacos. Or it could have been the complete lack of exercise all those years. Well, maybe it was all those candies, fruit snacks that I ate that the girls had. Or I guess it could have been like cake. I really like cake. Although, Mary doesn't make cake that often. She makes cookies. So it could have been cookies that Diana put in there. Correction. Go back through the audio to make sure everything was correct for release. I realized I needed a new label and was going to have to come back and record just that label. Subsequently, I started putting together the YouTube video and it just <laughs> it just wasn't good. So I'm correcting to say that the YouTube video, there there isn't going to be one. But I didn't want to go back through and edit it out that portion. I've really, I've only made maybe two or three edits for, I don't know, in this whole process, trying to keep that at a minimum. And I do plan on doing a YouTube videos, but what happened is my battery ran out, which sucked. Um, I knew that happened. I was just going to kind of work through it, it being the first one. Then I was doing the recording and I realized I was looking down and not into the camera. So there was, you know, kind of some rookie mistakes on that part. At one point... My camera went out of focus, and I became all blurry. It just, it just wasn't going to be good enough. So, plus, I've already recorded the next episode. Then, so it wasn't going to have audio. Then, when I did a uh, future uh, episode, hint to the upcoming episode, I interviewed Evan McCoy. When I interviewed McCoy, I made a mistake. I forgot that it was happening on that day. I got my days mixed up because I had to work an extra day. Anyway. I didn't put up the, the, I didn't prepare to record that. The next two episodes weren't going to have video anyway, so it seemed kind of weird to have one with video and then two with not. Long story long, I guess, or short story long, typical me. There isn't going to be a YouTube video, but eventually there will be. French fries. The title of this episode could have been Mike Hughes, We All Love You. Or... Mike Hughes, you are number one. But it's not. It's Mike Hughes up yours. The reason for that, Mike Hughes, good friend of mine, once told me something that hurt my feelings. So up yours, Mike, for hurting my feelings. This is what he told me. After all I'd done for him, he said... You, you're my arch nemesis. Maybe from that day on, maybe we really became arch nemesis because I'm making a podcast episode called Mike Hughes Up Yours. That sounds like an arch nemesis thing to do. Maybe he had a little bit of a point, but I don't think so. I think it was mean and hurtful. It's been over 10 years, and obviously I'm still bitter and upset about it. And this is how it happened. I don't remember all the details leading up to the situation. I remember that they happened. There had been several arguments. Everybody gets in arguments in life. More so when you're in the Navy, we would sit around. We had nothing to do. All we could do is talk. We, you're on deployment. This happened on deployment. A lot of hypothetical questions get asked. What do you feel about this? Who's the best quarterback? 
whatever. Two or three times in a row, I had taken the opposite stance of Mike. And this occurred, you know, maybe over the course of a week. We end up sitting down one day. We were in the forward galley. So there's two mess decks. There's one kind of midships, midships being the center of the ship, and one the forward. So there's the regular mess decks and the forward mess decks. We would go to the forward mess decks. They served like hot dogs, hamburgers, hard-boiled eggs. Every now and again, they'd get these tamales that were like frozen tamales pre-packaged. The beauty of that, they can't mess up the food. When I first got to the ship, we would eat in the the, the midship mess decks. Just the, I don't even remember what we called them. The, the regular-ass mess decks. It would always be chicken with broccoli, something like that. You'd go and you'd look, and they had these big steel, stainless steel, you know, I don't know how deep they were. They a couple of feet deep, and they would have just be filled with peas, and maybe one of them would be bacon, and the bacon would be gross. The top layer of bacon would be completely burned. You didn't want to eat it because it was disgusting. You'd take the tongs, peel off that first layer to get down to the bacon that's under the completely burnt-to-hell top layer. It's like a ended up being like a black and blue steak under that top layer of completely burned bacon. It was completely raw. If I went to breakfast in midship's galley, I would fill my, I, on multiple occasions, I just took a pound of raw bacon and everybody would say, Cole, what are you doing? If I take the raw bacon and everybody takes it, eventually they have to put another vat of bacon out and maybe they'll cook that one right but as long as this is filled they're never going to cook more bacon nobody behind us will get more bacon because no one will have eaten the raw bacon which you can't eat we all should take a pound of bacon 20 people come through or whatever these things are huge if everybody fills their tray up with bacon and dumps it in the garbage maybe somebody at some point in time will eat some bacon i thought it was a nefarious way for the CS's, culinary specialists. What a joke. Maybe that's an insult. Those guys did work hard. It was a nefarious way for them to get out of work. Make crap food when nobody eats it. Hey, I don't have to cook anymore. <laughs> and another funny story. I don't remember the guy's name. He got out of the Navy. I got to the ship. He was on the ship right with me. I think his name was Mikhail. I don't remember his last name. He spoke Russian. He was new to the ship. I was new to the ship. We would eat together a lot. These vats, they would always be filled with water. Like, why is the chicken covered in water? I have no idea. We were sitting there talking about it. He said, to the cooks, water is sauce. Water is flavor sauce. Oh, this chicken's bland. Add some of that flavor sauce and they cover it with water. I don't know. Maybe it was funnier if you were there, but I died laughing. It was a, it was a great joke. Needless to say, we would always eat at the forward galley. It was more just pop this in the microwave or pop this in the oven. They didn't have to make it. They wouldn't cover it with flavor sauce. Simple, straightforward, harder for the cooks to mess up. Like you can't mess up a hard boiled egg. You overcook it. 
it's you can't get the shell off, but it still tastes like an egg. You're not eating raw bacon. You're eating up in the Ford galley. They would have hamburgers and French fries, stuff like that. And this day we had hamburgers and French fries sitting around the table. The theoretical, hypothetical, whatever. I guess it's not a hypothetical, but the question arose, what is your favorite French fry? Around the table, it all went six or seven or eight of us. It comes to me and I said, oh, I like Arby's fries. Immediately, everyone gangs up on me. Hey, you can't say Arby's fries. Well, who the hell are you? I can say whatever French fry I want to say is my favorite fry. And it became this huge argument. We had nowhere to be, I guess. It lasted seriously for like two hours, arguing about the French fries. All of the other people against me, they were all saying Arby's fries aren't actual French fries. I, I, I think it might have been like Mikey Garner, although he said he doesn't remember it. McCoy, I'll have to ask him. But a bunch of people were ganging up on me about my preference in French fry. And their argument was curly fries don't count as French fries, which is absolutely absurd. My argument was, look, bourbon is a whiskey, but not all whiskey is bourbon. A subclass of French fry is the Arby's fry. Sure, it's in a different shape. Sure, it has some seasoning. But we've all had straight French fries that have seasoning on them. As a matter of fact, no French fry has no seasoning. They all have at least salt. They were all cooked in oil. Maybe you could air fry it saltless. Who wants to eat that? I don't. No, That's not going to be on anybody's list of favorite French fry. And on and on this went. And then Mike Hughes looked at me directly in the face suddenly. Like this just occurred to him. He said, Cole. Yeah? You're my arch nemesis. What do you mean? I'm not your arch nemesis. And then he, I don't know if he... He gave some example too, like I'm Spider-Man and you're Venom. He definitely made me the bad guy. And I started arguing with him and he said, no, you're my, I said, no, I'm not your arch nemesis. And then finally it just hurt my feelings. I said, fuck you. I said, see. Set the record straight one. I'm going to have to set the record straight. Arby's fries and Curly's fries are in fact French fries. If you find yourself in a situation and people ask you, what's your favorite French fry? You can say Arby's fries. It counts. I know this because I've always known it. I also know this because I was at work a couple years ago. The same question came up. We were talking about going to lunch. What's your favorite French fry? I happen to say I like Arby's fries. In the back of my mind, I was thinking about this situation I had had when I was in the Navy sitting around the mess decks. Every person that I work with said, 
Oh, yeah, Arby's fries. Those are good fries. Not one of them told me that Arby's fries don't count. I tried to, I thought, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure Garner was there. And I'd said, I texted Garner, do you remember this thing about the French fries? Because I wasn't going to let him live it down. That he'd been wrong about the French fries. And he said, I don't remember that. And I said, well, you're wrong. And he is wrong. Was, I hope, I hope he's, you know. We're not all the same people we were 10 years ago. I I think it's totally possible that, that people can expand and grow as humans and understand that Arby's fries do count as French fries. That's a, that's a reasonable position to take. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I should be give a little more benefit of the doubt. Maybe they, you know, in the midst of this deployment and their brains were just fogged over. Maybe they had been taken. It's, it's like they were on zombie dust. I don't know, that sounds like a drug. Actually, that's a beer. That's a local beer that's really good. But that's the record, and I'm setting it straight. The first time. He had a point. In fairness to Hughes, he did have a point. Not only did we have some disagreements on topics, I also relieved him we both stood throttleman on 2007 deployment and I happened to be the guy relieving him. I, he couldn't leave until I showed up. Now the watch bill was always crazy. The watch bill tells you who's going to go stand watch. The watch bill was always crazy. The, my first watch, I showed up late. It said 1600. I don't remember. I wouldn't have said that. That's four. Maybe it said 1,700. Anyway, I would have said 1,700. So I, if, you're not, if you're in the military, if you're not early or late, I show up 15 minutes before 1,700 and proceed to get reamed out by the person I'm relieving. Why are you 15 minutes late? What are you talking about? I'm 15 minutes early. No, this watch starts at 1630. Well, that doesn't make any sense. The watch bill says 1700 Yeah, but all the watches start not at the top of the hour, but at half past. So this is a 1630 watch. You're showing up at 1645. You're 15 minutes late. What? Whatever. Maybe that should have been in the unbelievable episode. What kind of nonsense is that? If the watch starts at 1630, why don't you just freaking write 1630 on the watch bill? But no, you can't. You write 1700 and then everybody shows up at 1630. In my mind, everybody kept showing up earlier and earlier and earlier and they didn't want to write 1700 on the watch bill and have everybody showing up at noon because if you're not early or late, if you're not early or late and earlier and earlier and earlier and earlier, and they just put a line in the sand and said, 1630 is the time. But then they didn't want to change the watch bill because then they would have to say, oh, 1630. Well, now now we got to be early and it's going to be 1650. And then they would start the whole thing over again. They said 1700. I don't know. The whole, I don't know. That's, that's the best I could come up with because it's just freaking stupid. Anyway, you're supposed to show up at the half past. Except for on the 2007 deployment. 
I did not. <laughs> and I could see how Mike Hughes would think that I was his nemesis because I bagged him. That's what they call being late. And I, I really don't know the exegesis of that. Etymology. Exegesis would be interpretation. So the etymology. I don't know the history of the word for bagging, but I think it might have to do with if you suck and you're in the Navy, they call you a shit bag. Showing up late wouldn't be cool. Maybe that's where bagging came from. But I would bag him. I want to say just about every, just about every watch. It was bad. And I felt really bad about it. What I would do to make up for it, I would show up early on certain watches. Well, the, the, I would try to do it in the best way possible. I wouldn't show up early on a watch. For example, if you are getting off at 4.30, what, you get off, you get off at 4 instead. Who really cares? What I would do, we had one watch. The four-hour watch was the 10 to 2. So 9.30 to 1.30, as much as that freaking makes sense. And on the 9.30 to 1.30 watch, you still had to get up. I don't remember when cleaning station was, but everybody on the whole ship would get up in the morning for cleaning stations. I don't exactly remember when it was. I think it was maybe 6.30 or something. You weren't going to get a full night's sleep. You'd gone to bed at, at 2. Maybe you got off at 1.30 and took a shower, whatever you're going to do. Watched F-Hot. I'll, ha- I'll have a story. Uh, a diff- different episode I'll talk about F-Hot. Maybe you got off watch, did whatever you're going to do, went to bed. And coming in early on that watch was more than just, maybe I'll get a good night's sleep tonight. We had multiple meal times on the ship. People are up all the time. One of the meal, you know, like breakfast, lunch, dinner. Then they had one called mid-rats. Mid-rats was for the crew who kind of works night shift. I Maybe not. I, I, I guess I don't know exactly who it was for other than people were up all the time. So they had a meal that was late at night. It was your fourth meal from those Taco Bell commercials. I think I don't, I want to say, I don't know when it started. I'm just going to say that. I don't know when it started, but I know it ended at one and we got off watch at one 30. And all we wanted to do when you get off watch at 1.30 and you've been up for God knows how long, whatever, like our schedules were all jacked up. Basically, we couldn't, this four-hour watch coincided perfectly with the three-hour serving time of mid-rats. We couldn't eat, we couldn't eat any food because none of the kitchens were open for this period of time. What I would do is I would bag him every single watch pretty much. And then on that one mid-rats watch, that 10 to 2, I would come in an hour early. He could go and actually eat food. And then he could grab a shower and then be in bed before anybody else even got off watch. So I try I try to make it up for him, try to make it up to him. <laughs> but it's still not cool when you it's it's not like we made a deal and I said, hey. I'm going to come in late X number of times, and then I'll try to give you all those hours back and, and minutes back in a way that will try to 
make we'll try to broker a deal to make this even. So I'm gonna I'm not just gonna be late five minutes all the time and then give it back when it's convenient for me. I'm I'm gonna try to help you out and make get, make those five minutes that you like none of that happened. It was it was it was still not cool. I still feel bad about it. So I do feel like he had a point in saying, Cole, you're my arch nemesis. Set the record straight too. Does this sound like an arch nemesis? I'm going to tell the story. You have to tell me if this sounds like something an arch nemesis to do, would do. Does this sound like something Venom would do to Spider-Man? I can't think of any other. I got Thanos. Does this sound like something Thanos would do to the Avengers? Story takes place. It's 2008. We're in the shutdown maintenance period. It's called a PIA. Planned incremental availability. Evan reminded me of that the other day. Anyway, I'm two plant work center supervisor. Hughes, smart guy, hardworking. Of course, he's one plant work center supervisor. I guess I should, I wanted to start, I, I wanted to say one other kind of story about Mike Hughes and I's relationship other than the fact that we're absolutely not arch nemesis, which is what this whole episode is about. I am not Mike Hughes arch nemesis and he said so, so up yours, Mike, for saying that. Not cool, bro. He was in one plant, I was in two plant, that lasted, I guess, until I was at a plant. I don't know. I don't remember where he went from there. Maybe I'll maybe I'll ask him one day. Anyway, I ended up going to RE32. That's like the tool shop, and we were in charge of um, predictive maintenance. Anyway, that's not really important. I was in one. Uh, I was in two plant. Mike Hughes was in one plant. We got along well. Part of it. <laughs> I remember specifically with him, I had this idea. So Cameron was born in 2006, and I had this idea about how to scare away or put future boyfriends in a bad situation. My idea was give the person a choice, and no matter what that person says you get to yell at them for it or make them feel ridiculously uncomfortable. It's kind of like a practical joke, but you're playing it, <laughs> the Be a Dick Thursday. It wouldn't be on Thursday. And you, you're in the position of authority, which makes it much more awkward for the other person. My idea was that he was liked, and, and we had several conversations along these lines over the years, what can you do? One, and I guess the main idea, the first one I had that I remember talking to him about, kid comes over, just two, two high school kids, one girl, one boy. Boy goes over to the girl's house to pick her up to go on a date, whatever. Go hang out. The dad is there, invites the kid in, offers the boyfriend 
a beer. Now, if the boyfriend accepts the beer, well, we know how. Yeah, that's that's easy to imagine. I can't believe you're going to drink beer and then drive my loved ones around. Who the hell do you think you are? Uh, That'd be really good. The flip side of that, what if he doesn't take the beer? Hey, man, I'm trying to extend an olive branch. I'm trying to be cool to you. Maybe you drink beer. Do you drink beer all the time? Because if you do, maybe you shouldn't be hanging out with him. I'm trying to extend you an olive branch, trying to get you on my side so that we can have some sort of relationship, and you're just going to stand here and spit in my face in my own house? That's kind of how, that's some of the stuff that we kind of bonded over shooting the breeze about. So Hughes, one plant, one plant work center supervisor. I'm two plant work center supervisor. We had this inspection coming up. And for these inspections, what they would do is we each had a binder. And all of the binders had to have the exact same order of papers with the exact same papers filled out the exact same way now in the in the navy there's a whole navy instruction nav co8 then there's the comnav air pack instruction for our ship because we were on the west coast then we would have the ship's instruction when the instructors or the inspectors come on board the ship they can't possibly be familiar with every instruction on every ship or even really in every region you can be assigned to because they're not just going to aircraft carriers. They're also going to submarines. They're seeing every ship, excuse me, they're seeing every nuclear-powered ship or boat in the whole fleet. They, it's impossible to remember and memorize all these. So the best way to do that, you go page by page and you flip it over. And then when there's a difference, you say, how come this one's like this and that one's like that? Which one of you is right? Well, what I would do, I would go through all of the, I just constantly read all these instructions and go through my book. And I found that there was a mistake. And the mistake had been there for for years. Who knows how long? But... These pages had been out of order or filled out in some incorrect way. I, I don't remember. I find the mistake. I change my book. I hand my book in. Now, we were supposed to have them handed in. This inspection was starting on a Monday. We were supposed to have these inspect, uh, our books handed in on Wednesday to this officer who's high-ranking. He's called the REA, and he was an O, I guess an O four been in the military 10, 15 years. He, I guess I kind of messed up. I find the mistake. I turn in my book. I don't, I could have, if I was an arch nemesis, what I could have done, I could have not told Mike. Then he would have had a difference. They would have found the difference. They would have said, Cole, why are two plants books like this? And I would have said, paragraph 1.2.3, section G. And they would have said, okay, well, clearly he's right. And they would have said, 
Mike, why is your like this? And he would have said, well, actually, I think mine should have been like what he had. And then he would have gotten a hit on his books. Any mistake, if you're an inspection and your gig line, which is your belt needs to line up with your buttons and your zipper and everything, all straight in a row. If your gig line's jacked up, they'll give you what they call a hit. Give that sailor a hit. They would have put a hit on his books and he would have had, a, it's like a demerit. But I didn't do that. No. I went to Mike and I said, hey, I'm changing my books because this is the correct thing to do. So you know, you need to change your books too. He says, okay. I'll change them. I go to him on Wednesday. Hey, did you get that thing changed? No. Okay, well, you need to do that. Did you turn your books in? No. Okay, well, you need to do that. And I talked to him on Thursday. Hey, did you get that stuff done? No. This is fairly normal. Only because, well, I guess maybe it's abnormal, but... When you're the work center supervisor, there's so much work to do. Something breaks, blah, 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 yada, yada. You can be super busy and not have time for some kind of menial paperwork sort of a task, which normally would take the back burner. I guess in this case, for him at least, it, it did take the back burner. Fixing something, fixing a machine that's broken is more important than turning your books in on time. That's a correct way to prioritize. I'm going to abrupt this story, abruptly have an interjection into this story right here. The REA at this point in time, I'm not going to give his name because I said I would not give the names out of people who I'm going to trash. And this guy was pretty much the biggest a-hole on planet Earth. I've met one other person who for sure was a, was a bigger dick than this guy, hands down. But this guy was number two. Lo and behold, what do you think happened to him? He got an award for being a good leader because that's how the Navy works. You're the absolute worst, rock bottom of the scumbag barrel, and they give you an award for being good. Go figure. This guy sucks. He's the worst. Now, I do want to say this about him. He is a smart guy. He's not incompetent. It's his leadership style. And I think this this style maybe came from, maybe he's different now. Maybe I shouldn't be so hard on him. I'm I'm trying to be nice. At this point in time, this guy was miserable, and he was probably in his mid-30s to 40 years old. And maybe, well, he might have been older than that. But maybe as he's gotten older, he's read a couple of books, and he's not a jackass anymore. I'm just going to, I want to tell this too, because it's important. If anybody's in a leadership position, this is what happens when you treat people like garbage. When I first got to the ship, there were certain watch stations. I guess maybe I need to start there. There's certain watch stations you have to qualify. I haven't gone through that, but I want to do an episode about my qualification process. One of the most senior ones you could qualify was this roving watch I think I made a joke about that earlier. The plant doesn't rove around Miller. Or Miller doesn't rove around the plant. The plant roves around Miller. You just have to walk for five hours. That's what you're supposed to do. According to the, it's a roving watch. 
one of these roving watches was the most senior electrician watch other than this other qualification called load dispatcher where you it's it's an optional qualification your senior in rate doesn't include load dispatcher this watch is called machinery electrician what you're supposed to do is walk around and take these specific logs and and take these specific actions in different situations well when i first got to the ship yeah, I mean, a roving watch, what does that really mean? Does it mean you're constantly on the move that you've never even stood still once for five hours? Eh, that doesn't seem quite right. Couldn't you just be like a security guard or something and make some rounds? And that's how it was treated. In switchgear, which is the only air-conditioned space on the ship, not on the ship, in the... It's the only air-conditioning space in the engine room. And in switchgear, there's an electrical operator. He's in charge of manipulating breakers. When he's manipulating breakers, someone watches him to make sure he doesn't make a mistake. That person's the machinery electrician. The machinery electrician had a chair in switchgear. He would sit in the air conditioning, I don't know, 30 minutes every hour, and then get up and do his rounds, and then come back and sit in his chair. That's what they would do. When I got to the ship in 2006, you would walk around for a little bit and go and sit in switch gear. In 2006, we had this first uh, PIA. They got rid of the machinery electrician chair. It wasn't there anymore. And all the machinery electricians were (laughs) were bummed about it. Well, now it's 2008. We're on deployment. This officer... He decided that roving meant you have to rove 100% of the time. No breaks. Don't stop. If you're not going heel to toe, heel to toe for one second, you've made a mistake and he's going to get you and he's going to find you out. You rotten bastard. What he would do is he would hide around the corner. At 11 at night, when you're on this 10 to 2 watch, nothing's going on. And he would stand there for 10, 15 minutes hiding. And if he didn't see anybody come in or out of switchgear, he would go into switchgear. The machinery electrician would be in there. Not always. I don't know how many times he did it. But if the machinery electrician was in there, he would say, how long have you been in here? Well, he'd made this big push about you can't stop for one second. Being in switchgear for any amount of time is a mistake that you have just made, even though we had logs in switchgear. Well, the person, the machinery electrician, wouldn't want to say, hey, I've been in here for 10 minutes because this officer is going to rip him a new one. They would say, oh, I just got in here five minutes ago to make themselves look better. And then... He would say, well, that's not true because I've been hiding around the corner for 20 minutes. And then he would call the office, get two people racked out from sleep, and they would get relieved from watch. Then they would go through this remedial process where they had to requalify those watch stations. And he would give them a living nightmare all because you weren't walking around for 15 minutes. There used to be a chair, dude. There used to be a chair for you to sit here. What's happening? 
nothing can catch on fire and us not know about it because there's so many other people walking around the power plant. That was, and I say that because that was one of the justifications. Well, what happens if there's an oil fire downstairs? I don't know. There's five mechanic watch stations at least, uh, maybe about five. And then there's another, uh, then there's an electrician watch station. Then there's another guy who might be down there and the machinery electrician might be taking a lot, but just not maybe at this exact second. Like, come on, dude, whatever. Anyway, it's the middle of deployment. We're all feeling miserable. We're at the, the, as low as you could feel because this is just one example about how this guy treated everybody, which was terrible. And it made everybody feel terrible. I just, I'd had it up to here. Enough is enough. I'm not going to deal with it. Screw you guys. I've been breaking my back doing extra work for free. I was actually an E4. I was getting paid less money doing twice as much work, qualified all these extra watches. I'm the most senior, you know, I'm one of the most senior people and you're going to bust my balls about being in switch gear for five minutes. Like, I don't think so. What I, I did, and this is, this is what happens when you treat people like crap. I went into switch gear and I sat down and for four hours, I just sat there on the ground. I was, I was fuming. I was livid. It was on the 10 to two watch. And maybe I just heard about it that afternoon, like it happened the night before, but maybe I was sleeping and doing something else, whatever the case may be. I was just super pissed. And I went into switch gear and I sat down on the floor and for four hours, I, di I didn't even go take my logs. And I don't remember who the electrical operator was, but I was just so mad about the whole thing. I don't remember if this guy was cool with it. I mean, he must have been in some way or I just would have said, hey, he asked me to leave, but I refused or something. I don't know. But my plan was, if that guy walked in and said, how long have you been here? I was going to say, sir, it's been so long, it's hard to tell. <laughs> so if you try to be overbearing on the smallest little point, People aren't then going to start minding that little point. That's not how it works. People are going to start not doing big things just to stick it in your eye. So don't be like that guy. That's just one example of how he is terrible. There were other guys in that same leadership structure that were absolutely terrible. What really nullified it for me was a couple of guys. Well, I, it was every chief that happened to be in reactor electrical division while these upper management was the worst bag of a-holes you could get you know to, to create equilibrium our core reactor electrical chiefs was there was the best group of chiefs you could get and that made it to where and then and then our divo to uh mr weddington he was amazing so th those guys, they, they offset kind of the badness and made it uh, a, good, a, good, a good deployment, as good as it could be under the circumstances. So the scenario is, we've got these books. We're supposed to turn them in. Mike makes his change. It's now Friday. He's supposed to have turned in his book to the biggest a-hole on planet Earth. But he hasn't done it yet. Well, we're all supposed to leave on Friday. They would do every now and again during this 
uh, Pia, they would let us go early at noon on Fridays. And remarkably, if there was a CO talk at noon, that would actually, we could actually go at noon. There was no CO talk at noon. Like in the 06 deployment, we would just sit around forever and we would never get to go early. And this particular time on this, uh, on the, on this period, if they had a CO talk, then we could go early because everybody in the ship would go early and you could just walk off with everybody else. It was the official end of the workday because the CO said so. Well, it's supposed to be the end of the workday. It's Friday. We're having the CO talk. The, I believe the, he, jacking up my own story. Hughes can't turn in his books before the end of the workday because he's on watch, which is like 6.30 to noon 30. And I had gone up to him to check again. Hey, did you get this done? Yes. Did you turn in your books? No. I said, Hughes, I'll go turn in those books for you. And he said, would you? Yeah, for sure. Pick up his books. I take them up and I go and I drag, I drop them off. There's this little trailer. They, they filled the hangar bay up with trailers to create like the reactor office. I walk into what would be the trailer that's the reactor office to drop this book off for this officer. As I'm walking into the trailer, he comes walking out. And he says, oh, my God, is that your book? And I said, no, I'm in two plant. This is one plant book. But as I said no and I start to explain, he just start lighting me up. Then what the fuck is that in your hand? I said, well, this is one plant's book. So how can this not be your? Sir, I'm in two. Shut, shut the fuck up. Like he's just lighting me up like you wouldn't believe because I'm trying to do him personally a favor by getting these books turned in early. I grab Mike's books and I take it to him to help him out. And he, and all he can do is yell at me and swear at me. And he ends up saying, I can't believe you're going to turn this book in late. So that means you're going to stay here until I can verify that everything in this book is correct that way, if there's a change that needs to be made, you're here to change it. That's not a request. And I said, yes, sir. And he takes the book, and I turn around and I walk away, fuming. He didn't listen to me at all. He did was yell at me because I was turning in one plant's books. Now... There's an important point to make about the difference between Mike Hughes and myself. Normally, I just would have said, Hughes, this guy wants you to be here to go over his books. Hell, you're on duty anyway. You're going to be here all day. Just if he needs anything, let him know. We'll let him know that you're here. The problem is I'm pasty white. Mike Hughes is black. Now, this officer doesn't really care if I live or died, and I'm pretty sure he has no idea who I was. But he's a smart guy, and I'm 100% positive that nobody's going to get Mike Hughes confused 
with myself. If he shows up instead of me, he's going to get the question, where's the other guy? Based on how the last conversation went, you know, I just didn't want him to go through and get, get yelled at because, and then maybe me get yelled, whatever the case was going to be. So I hang around. Everybody goes home at noon. Finally, about two o'clock rolls around. And I'm just sitting in the office, not on my duty day, seething. I can't believe this guy did that to me. Now I'm sitting here. No, I'm supposed to wait till he calls back. Is he just putting this off and off and off and off to make like to prove a point? I don't know. Maybe I should just leave and then have, and then, well, I don't want to use to deal with that. And I don't know what to do. So finally, I just said, look, I'm going to go ask if he's forgotten. He'll, if, if he hasn't forgotten, he'll yell at me, whatever. He's already yelled at me today. Screw him. If he has forgotten, maybe I'll get to go home. I walk into the same reactor office. Dude isn't in there, but Mr. Meyer Peter is, who's awesome, by the way. Meyer Peter says, dude, what are you, what are you doing here? Well, I was turning in one plant's book. Well, you're not in one plant. Yeah, I know. But I was turning in one plant's book, and the guy said, you specifically are going to be here to make any changes if I need them to be made. They said, oh, I got you. At that point in time, this guy walks in. Mr. Meyer Peter asked for me, which is a huge, huge favor. And he says, hey, uh, Lancaster's over here waiting on uh, one plant's books. Are you done with them? Or can he go home? The guy says, oh, I'm not going to be done with those for a long time. uh, Tell him he can go home and just have him show up at 5 o'clock in the morning on Monday. That way, if I need a change, it can get made before the inspection starts. So on Monday, I showed up a couple hours before everybody else. So my question is, does that sound like something an arch nemesis would do? I think not. Unsure. I made this podcast and my idea was to show that Mike Hughes, I'm not your arch nemesis. And you know what? Kind of up yours for saying that. Well, I've been thinking about it. It reminds me of that movie or a movie, a Batman movie. I think it's called Batman Forever. It was the one that came out in like 1996. Val Kilmer was Batman. Robin was Chris O'Donnell. I think it had Nicole Kidman in it. Jim Carrey was the Joker, and Two-Face was Tommy Lee Jones. But I want to focus on Jim Carrey as a Joker here for a minute. Now, the Joker, this character, he starts off, he's this inventor, and he comes up with this idea. He works for Bruce Wayne Enterprises. He comes up with this idea, he shows it to Bruce Wayne, and Bruce Wayne rebuffs his efforts. Hey, this isn't a good way to go. This isn't what we want to do. It's not who we want to be. And the person that the Joker was putting up on a pedestal, the person that he was idolizing when he receives the scorn, that scorn 
turns the sycophant into a hater. And he turns in, it's just a visceral, guttural hate. He doesn't like him. And that's how the Joker actually does become the arch nemesis of Batman. And now I'm, I'm, I'm seeing some similarities here. Everything was fine. Mike Hughes calls me his arch nemesis. Now, I still don't believe we're arch nemesis. But I have to say, I am making a podcast called Mike Hughes Up Yours. Like the 7-Up commercial. I said like the 7-Up commercial there. Mike Hughes Up Yours. That does seem like something an arch nemesis would do. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I have to reevaluate my position or not. I I don't think I'm his arch nemesis. Shout outs. I was unsure whether to do a shout out for this episode or not. It's basically a huge shout out to Mike Hughes. Love you, buddy. But then I realized if I do another shout out, I can work on another Bauer story, which always makes me happy. This shout out goes out to Sean Brim. I've actually seen Brim quite a bit. I guess he just moved to Hawaii. Cool pictures on Facebook. Anyway, Brim, he had the rack below me. And Brim's just a fun guy. You should probably know that before I tell this story. Brim's a fun guy. I like him. He, he, I love him. He had the rack right below me. And that's the middle of the story. The story begins, I talked about you have a rack. There's three on one side, three on the other. You walk in, ending it, making the U is four lockers. Now, on each locker, there's a, a top, surprising. You can put boots on the top, right? Well, those boots are going to be next to the top rack and where your kind of face is. Everybody else, you just take your shoes off, your boots. They go on the floor in the middle of that six-pack. You jump out of your rack. You might break your ankle tripping over somebody's boots. One of the issues is when there's an inspection, basically your boots aren't supposed to be on the floor, but you actually don't have a place to put them either. Adding on to this, when I first got to the ship, the bottom racks are the worst racks. That's just true. The middle racks have the advantage of it's dark. If they turn the lights on, it's still dark. There's a roof. But if you sit up, you're going to hit your head. The top rack, you can sit up. There's not an actual roof. The main advantage of not having that roof, other than not bashing your head if you stand up, which I there's still like a rack light, so I did hit my head even though there wasn't a roof. But the air conditioning blows from the vent directly into your rack. That room is normally hot when you're in, like the Persian Gulf, when you're in, when the climate is hot, it's hot and birthing, except for on the top rack because that AC is blowing right down on you and you still have to sleep in your sleeping bag. When I was on the bottom rack in the Persian Gulf, I actually slept with my rack curtains open just to get some, a little bit of air movement in there. So I get to the ship. We're actually in the Persian Gulf. 
bottom rack's the worst rack. It's hot. I get a bottom rack because I'm nub. I'm the, I'm the newest person, the nubliest nub. And this guy across from me, the bottom rack across from me, had the stinkiest feet ever. And it, it was Chris Bowers. And I'm sure the stinkiest feet ever is maybe a little bit of a hyperbole, but this is how it was. I would be in the bottom rack. I'd be sleeping. Bowers would get off watch, come put his boots. And when he'd put his boots in the middle of the six-pack floor, he would just fling them. They would end up being right next to my rack curtain, which was open. So his open, empty shoe, he just got done sweating on watch, would just be chimneyed directly into my rack and I would be sleeping. Everything would be great. Oh, and then I'm awake. What's that smell? And I would see, oh my gosh. And then I would take those boots and throw them and just get get these boots away from my face. Because of that, I developed this phobia. I don't know if that's the right word, but I do not like other people's shoes by my face. My next rack movement was to move up to the top the, the racks that I was in at first, they didn't have coffin lockers. It was the worst set of racks to be in. I was able to move up to the top rack there strictly because nobody else wanted it. It was better to have a middle rack somewhere else than a top rack without a coffin locker. So even though I was pretty new, I moved up to a top rack. From there, my friend Davis, he got out of the Navy. I took his top rack right across. I never moved out of that same six-pack. Now, Bowers at this point is long gone. He moves somewhere else into birthing. I move up. This is toward the end of my time on the ship. I'm now senior. I've got a top rack. I've been sleeping with only my boots on top of the locker. They have a spot. It's my spot. It's the spot for the person who sleeps in the top rack. That's always known. It's the senior person. This is where I put my boots. I don't want anybody's boots near my face. And this is where Brim comes in. Brim, I don't remember if he moved into the middle rack. I don't remember how it all worked out. But Brim, because Rupert was below me for a little. Anyway, Brim is in the middle rack or the bottom rack. I don't remember. Now I'm thinking Rupert was in the middle rack and Brim was in the bottom rack. Regardless, Brim was in my same six pack on my side below me. And he would come in and put his boots where my boots go, next to my rack, next to my face. And I got irritated. And I like Brim. So I decided, hey, I'm going to play a joke on him. And I took his boots and I moved them and I put them on the vent duct right behind me where the AC comes in. Put them on the vent duct behind me and I wrote him a poem. And I put it on his bed. Actually, Walker helped me write this. I only remember the beginning and I didn't come up with it, but it was something along the lines of, a blind man's bat has how many grooves? And then there was several other omen-type clues. And then it ended with, when you can answer these questions three, look above you 
and behind you, and you will find your boots. Like a fake scavenger hunt, but it actually told you where to look. Well, Brim, he had some sort of opposite schedule to me. I didn't, I didn't see him for a couple days, I don't know. I come back, his boots, they're in my spot again. Okay, well, I tried to be nice once. I'm not going to do that again. I think we were having a lot of birthing inspections too or something, and they, you know, you're not supposed to have your boots there, and he was trying to find a spot, and I went there, so he just put his boots where he could, which was in my spot. Well, I didn't care about any of that at the time, so I took his boots, and I took one, and I threw it as far as I could in one direction, and I took the other one, and I threw it as far as I could in the opposite direction. And I thought, he'll get the picture. And I come back, and his boots are in my freaking spot again. And he happened to walk up, and I said, Brim, what are you doing? Your boots are in my spot. He said, oh, I'm sorry. I, d- I didn't know that, you know, I didn't know that was your boot spot. And I said, yeah, that's my boot spot. Don't put your boots where my boots go. He said, oh, okay, yeah, no, no worries. I, said, I can't believe you didn't. I left you a poem. You didn't get the message from the poem. And then I took one shoe and I threw it one way and I took the other shoe the other way. How the hell did you not get that message? Oh, that was you? I was wondering what was happening. I just figured someone was playing a joke on me. Well, I guess that does make sense. But that's the story of Brim and Brim's boots. Extra. I made this extra segment for a very specific reason. Times two. Firstly, you may be thinking to yourself, hey, I bet Cole told Mike Hughes he was making this podcast. That is 100% false. I want him to be totally blindsided by the whole situation because, well, that's just a better joke. Secondly, I wanted to go ahead and add another layer onto this. I went online, I found a website, and I replicated the 7-Up shirt with a little change. Light green shirt with white lettering that says, Mike Hughes on the front and Up Yours on the back. So I made the Mike Hughes Up Yours campaign t-shirt. And I've ordered one, and as soon as I get it in, I'm going to wear it and put the pictures on social media. I'm also going to order Mike Hughes one of these shirts. And if you want one, don't let Mike Hughes know how you really feel. Uh, I guess the web, it's great-mistakes.creator-spring.com. And I don't know. <laughs> I just think it's an outstanding joke to actually go ahead and have the t-shirts made. So I'm, I'm pretty happy for it. And I'm looking forward to getting mine. All right. That is all.